If my daughter-in-law, Geordie, was here, she would have been in the fetal position listening to that baby shark noise. Any parents can relate to that, you know, the baby shark song? Um, for rest of you, just Google baby shark and listen to it. Just have it play for about five minutes. And it gets in there, man. It's the earworm. It's yuck. Cool. Just want to let you know about a little funny story. Um, this week I arrived in work and just uh, was coming through the foyer and Nicola was on those phones. And um, someone rang and one of those people you can hear from a mile away even though they're through the phone. She says, I'd like to talk to the boss hog if I could, please. Nicola goes, excuse me, sir, but um, we're a bit more respectful to our senior minister here and it's either Pastor Rick or the senior pastor, please. He said, well, I was hoping to actually talk to someone about donating $10,000 to the church. She says, well, don't worry, Porky, just walk through the door. <laughs> Has nothing to do with my sermon. Nothing. I heard that this week and I thought, that's funny. Anyway. Start of this year, I really felt the Lord spoke to us about forming an exceedingly great army. And out of that passage in Ezekiel chapter 37. And... Uh, I, I, I sit back, and by no means are we that army yet across our churches, but I reckon we've made some huge project, pros, process, or some progress, sorry, some huge progress in developing what is required to be something great. When I say great, someone who has great influence, someone who can turn around to their community and help their community, uh, families who can help their neighbours. Lives which don't get shipwrecked when something bad happens. And I believe the Lord is actually challenging us to be that. And I've loved what I've seen. And I want to congratulate you, our church, for taking hold of what God is doing and allowing him to do what he wants to do in your life. But I want to encourage you, let's continue to do that. Is that cool? Our church is full of great people right across all of the churches. Whether it be in Cambodia, up the mountains, or in Penrith, or here. Great people. And um, I love what God is doing. And I feel like God just doesn't want us just to meet and worship him. I think that's a great thing to do. But I think he wants to develop stuff in our lives and develop strength in our lives like nothing else so that the rest of the world can see a group of people who can help, who can be an example, who can help them become who God has asked them to be too. And this year we've been preaching on the theme of greater... And um, just a few weeks ago, I preached a message here about descending into greatness. Out of that passage of scripture in, in Philippians chapter 2, um, where it says this in verse 5, Consider the example of Jesus, the anointed one, has set before us. Um, let his mindset become your motivation. He existed in the form of God, yet he gave no thought to seizing equality with God, as his supreme prize. Instead, he emptied himself of his outward glory by reducing himself to the form of a lowly servant. He became human. Verse 10 says this, Because of that obedience, God exalted him and multiplied his greatness. He has now been given the greatest of all names. And I really felt to preach a little bit a couple of weeks ago I was here and I preached about descending into great... What, what's required to descend into greatness? Because I think descend doesn't mean to actually go lower, I think it means to go deeper. And it was a couple of weeks ago I preached a message, I think it was quite a deep message, simple message but deep. And that is, basically, God loves you. It doesn't matter where you've been, it doesn't matter what you've done, He just loves you. And... I wish that was so simple for people to grasp, but it's not. Let me tell you, your Christianity has more about God loving you than you loving God. My loving God is conditional. Sometimes I don't feel like doing it. In fact, God and I have had lots of arguments. He wins. He and I have had lots of disagreements. He and I, I haven't spoken to him for weeks sometimes. But his love for me is never ending. His love for me is unconditional. His love for me. I shared that a couple of weeks ago because it is a deep truth that if you really want to see greatness come out of your life, you want to see your family be labelled great, a great family, you want to get to the end of your days, we had a great family. You've got to understand it all starts with God loves you. 
God loves you unconditionally. Not only that, he actually wants you in his family. You're part of his family. You are his child. You're not just his friend. You're not just an acquaintance. You're not just his church. You're his child. But not only that, he has chosen you to be his representative on planet Earth. You represent him. You're his image on, on planet Earth. People want to know what God looks like? Well, turn to the person next to you. That's what he looks like. That's how he acts. It's pretty significant when you can really grab hold of how deep that is. Well, today I want to talk about something again, which is pretty deep. Part two of that sermon, I suppose, if you really want to think about it. It's one of those things, again, that I think it's simple, but yet deep, so deep that most people don't grasp it. Most Christians live their life and forget this major cornerstone, if you like, of living the Christian life. And I want to share that with you this morning because it brings joy and peace into people's lives. It brings a stability into your family. It brings a stability into your life. And if you really want to really see God move and see God's plan outwork in your life, you've really got to grab hold of this one. Is that cool? Romans 8.28 says this, And we know that all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purposes. That is my favorite scripture in the whole Bible. I remember my girlfriend had just dumped me. I'm in a small group. And this guy just came up to me and said, I thought to give you a, a scripture. He gave me Romans 8.28. All things work out together for good. Well, I ended up marrying that girl. She dumped me three times. I kept going. Just call me boomerang. I just keep coming back. Anyway, good passage of scripture. All things work out together for good for those who love God and those who are called, to, uh, those who are called according to his purpose. I love it. March 7th, 2012. I woke up rather early, put on my running shoes because I was having breakfast with Marcus Claxton down at the coffee club. I put it on, I start, you know... I'm, in the middle of training for a half marathon, so I thought, do you know what? There's a really nice run from my place to the Nepean River Coffee Club. And I'm going to take it because it's early in the morning, the sun's just coming up, it's a bit dark, get out there, and I thought I'd run along the side of the freeway, the M4, <clears throat> go and have breakfast with Marcus. I get halfway down there, and I'm coming up to this Mulgoa Road on-ramp. And I'm thinking, I'm making really good time here because when you're running, that's all it's about, right? I'm breaking records, you know. And, um, you know, I'm, I've been running, I'm just about to hit the 1K mark, you know, and I'm, I'm feeling pretty good. And realising that, you know, I'm going to break a record today. I didn't break a record. All of a sudden, I come to this, this uh, on-ramp, and I think, do you know what? There's a slow truck coming up that ramp. I think I can beat it. I can get across and keep going along the freeway to go and see, have breakfast with Marcus, a nice eggs benedict or something, it'd be great. But then I hear this, still remember as plain as day, this car from behind the truck decides to undertake, it's really appropriately named, isn't it, undertaking? Undertake the car, the truck, and I'm in the middle of the painted island. You know that painted island? And he comes this way. I step this way, he turns this way. And all in a flash second at 80.3 k's an hour, boom, hits me. I remember it as plain as day. There's nothing I don't remember. I remember going through the air. I remember hitting the ground. I remember the sound. I can still hear the sound. And I remember thinking, what are all the other cars coming down the freeway doing at 110 k's an hour? I remember thinking that. But this incredible sense of peace, I will never forget, just flooded my whole being. And this is what I felt. It's like God spoke to me, but not audibly. If it was audibly, it would even be a better story. But I felt God say to me, I've got you in my hands. I've got you. And I will never forget the peaceful feeling. Apparently, I laid there for about five minutes, but to me, it felt like 20 seconds. A paramedic comes along, happened to be behind that car, a paramedic on holidays from Melbourne, got out and they lifted me off. And from that moment, I was in the hands at the mercy of paramedics, doctors, everything. Later on, I found out they were actually expecting me to die. 
They didn't expect me to live. When I bled that much, I said, well, usually when they bleed that much, it's not going to live. Um, I say that to say this. I learned something and I began a journey that day about a thing called unconditional trusting of God. If I want to live a great life in the Christian realm, if I really want to get to the end of this and realise it mattered, I have got to have unconditional trust for God. He said it, I held you in my hands and I felt it. Now, I would like to say, if I could, I wish I could say that every day since, I've been able to have unconditional trust of God. But I'm more accurate to say that I've been on a journey over the last, what, seven years now? Seven and a half, eight years now, of learning to trust Him. Because I think it's vital. You see, it is easy. It is easy when things are going good to trust God, isn't it? You know, the kids are healthy, my wife and I are getting on really great, work's doing well, maybe the, you know, there's plenty of food on the shelves, Everything's the boss likes me, no arguments. It's not hard to trust God there, is it? But the thing is, it's not tested. It's a bit like submission, when you're asked to submit to one another. There's no submission if there's always agreement. It's when you disagree that submission comes into place, right? Well, same with trust. Trust doesn't even come into play. Faith doesn't even really come into play until it's tested. See, when things are going good, it's easy. But when things aren't going good, and you're praying and you're not seeing any answers and you haven't seen that breakthrough with that relationship that you've been craving, maybe the kids are going through turmoil and you just, just wish you could see an answer there, but you haven't seen that answer. Maybe you and your spouse aren't connecting and, and all these things come and, and you, you, your trust is getting tested. My question to you at that point is, do you still trust him? Do you still trust him? Because if you don't, it's not con unconditional trust, it's conditional trust. You see, conditional trust says this, as long as I'm happy, it's all good, God. God, I'm happy with you. I will love you as long as it's good. As long as I'm happy, as long as I'm feeling the peace. But I think we got it wrong. I think when we think about it that way, we, we, we think that God's will should be fitting into our desires rather than our desires fitting into God's will. Because God, see, there's this little problem we have. God thinks he's sovereign. He actually thinks he's God. And he will answer your prayers how and when he wants to. He, he has a bigger perspective than us. He has a bigger outlook than us. He has a great plan. And we tell him what we want and when we want it. He's God. And he connected to last week's message or two weeks ago. His love for you is so incredible. Often he won't let you have your will. Because just because it makes you happy doesn't mean it's good for you. Doesn't mean it's going to see you end up where you need to be. So my message today is all about, do you unconditionally trust God? Because that is the key to seeing it happen, the way you want it to have. Oh, but God, I'm not happy right now. God, I, I want to see it the way I want it, God. Do you know, anything you have to have to be happy leaves you vulnerable. Because if I were the devil... And I knew what makes you happy. And for you not to have it means you don't function. That you will get cranky with God. In fact, you might even drop this whole faith thing. If I knew that, guess what I would do? I'd take it out of your life. I'd do whatever I could to stop it. I remember once someone once said to me this, Rick, anything that you go to for comfort that is not God is an idol. And idols mess your life up. It's the same with things that you're relying on to be happy. Oh, I won't be happy unless God does this. Well, it's an idol. It's dependent. Your happiness is dependent on that situation. I won't be happy unless I get a breakthrough at work. 
God, you've got to give it to me. Otherwise, otherwise what? He might not want you to have that yet. His timing and his will is perfect. Sometimes he answers prayer with a no. <laughs> you think you haven't got any answered prayer. No, no, he answered it. No. And church, we've got to be good with that because we trust him. My message title today is In the Greater We Trust. In the greater we trust. He's got a greater knowledge. He's got a greater aspect than me. His ways are higher than my ways, Isaiah says. His thoughts are higher than my thoughts. He's the ultimate shepherd. Where the sheep? You ever notice sheep? They're down eating. The shepherd's out watching to see what's on the fringes, which might take you out. He's the shepherd. And he wants the best for your life. Sometimes we don't understand why God delays things or why, why I'm having to go through this hard time. You know, I, I remember when we had younger kids and, and um, it was stressful. It was sleep-deprived city. Anyone can relate? It was no money in the house. Where's the food coming from? It was a lot of that. And I found it hard to understand because we say, God, we need a breakthrough financial. We need a breakthrough here. Lord, we're generous. We're giving. And it was really, really hard to understand. Then one day I read this scripture. It's 1 Corinthians. Pastor, our Dr. Adam White's here and I'm a bit scared to quote Corinthians. He said, I found Paul talked about this thorn in his flesh. No one really knows what that was. Maybe it was a physical thing. Maybe it was a limp he had or a pain. Maybe it was something going on inside of his, his mind. Maybe it was something emotional. We have no idea. But what he said is he, he, it affected him so much, he actually said, I went to the Lord and asked him three times, God, you've got to take this from me. How bad was it? This is a guy who used to get flogged. This is a guy who purposely went and got imprisoned and went to Jerusalem knowing he'd get bound and beaten up. But God, please take this from me. It must have been pretty bad. Take this thing from me, God. Take it three times. And God said, no, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient. Do you know what? We can do a lot worse than start swimming around in his grace. Can't we? See, if we're not trusting God, we miss out on the grace. Or we miss out on the swimming in the grace. We miss it. We throw it all away. No, I don't want this. I don't like it. I'm, I'm, I'm getting off this bus called church. I'm getting off this bus called the kingdom. All because he said no. But you've got to understand, he loves you so much. He wants the best for you. Trust him. If he gives unconditional love, he is worthy of unconditional trust. You can quote that one. That was me. It's true. It's my revelation. If he's got unconditional love, he's worthy of unconditional trust. You can trust him. Paul could trust him. God, please take it away. You know what's great to keep asking. It's cool. But understand if he says no, it's okay. It's a bit like Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. Or Rakshak and Benny. Think about it. There they were. Hearing the command, you must bow down and worship other idols. Well, they knew not to do that. They had a fear of God. They, they understood their God. They loved him. We're not going to do that. Well, you'll be thrown into the, 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 the kiln of fire. You'll be thrown into the ovens and turned up four times hotter. Well, we're not going to bow down. I love what they say. Our God will deliver us. But even if he doesn't, he is still God. Wow. Boy, I think we need a lot more of that as Christians, don't you think? He will sort this out. He'll get me through. But even if he doesn't, he's still my God. I'm still trusting him. Throw these three young men in the fire. If you haven't read the story, you need to read it. It's great in the book of Daniel. The king looks in there and says, we threw three guys in, yeah? yeah. How come I can see four? There's another one that looks like the son of man running around in there. There's a fourth one. He's with you in the trials. He's with you in the fire. But what I love most about the story, the king says, get them out of there. They're running around in a fire. Get them out of there. <laughs> says this, their bounds, the ropes were burnt off them. And they didn't smell of smoke. 
Now, if you're not going through a fire right now, I've got news for you. You've either just come out of one or you're going to go through one. That's a fact. That's what happens. Some call it the refining fire. I'd rather just call it yuck. But you're going to go through a fire, right? I'm wondering whether it's the trusting God that enables the things that were binding you to be burnt off your life. The attitudes, the hurt, the reliance on other gods, idols. Maybe they get burnt off. And then the smell of smoke was not in them. Because they trusted their Lord, they're going, oh yeah, I was in that fire and it was the most horrible time. Let me tell you about it. Sometimes you meet people and they've gone through issues and they still smell of smoke. But I want to be the sort of person that comes out of a fire and you can't even tell I've been through a fire. Because I've grown and there's nothing holding me back anymore. Because I got through the fire. You know, um, I heard this example a few years back and I love it. I used to have a watch, 50 metre, waterproof watch. And it, I think it got ruined in the shower, actually. <laughs> but you get a genuine waterproof watch. It's pretty cool. And you just go for a swim just to test it out, you know. And go down and sit down on the bottom there for a while. Look, like, I can read the time. It's just great. But one thing I noticed about the waterproof watches, they're not wet-proof. They still get wet. They just don't get ruined when they get wet. Do you know what? You might not be tragedy Proof, but your devastation proof. It can't affect you if you trust the Lord. You can get through the fire. You're still going to get wet, but you won't be destroyed. He puts a proof in you, that trust puts a proof in you, where no matter what fire, this tragedy might happen, this derailment might happen, but it's okay because your God will deliver you. But even if he doesn't, he's still God. He gets you through somehow. His grace is sufficient for you. Do you trust him? Do you trust him? I reckon the greatest counselling you can ever receive, I think, is do you trust God? Let's get back to there. Do you really trust him? Is he really supreme? Is he really the sovereign? Naomi and I have had learnt a lot about trusting God. And um, I remember just before we got married, we pulled all our cash together and when we'd get gifts, we'd all put it together and we got ourselves a little $16,000 deposit for a block of land, one acre in Bega. Good old Bega, down south coast of New South Wales and we bought it so that it would increase in value. We heard it was a little hot spot. And in the space of about three years through our engagement, it actually went to about $21,000 worth, and, um, which was, ironically enough, to get a deposit for a house. Back in, don't you wish we were back in those days? <clears throat> but it was a lot of money back then, $21,000. And we bought a house, and our cute little house is a fixer-upper, which I sort of half-fixer-upped. And um, it was fantastic. And we got in there and we started having our babies and it was fantastic, you know, loving it. And, and uh, then my father-in-law said, Rick, I'm doing a development. I'm going to put two houses, but there's room for a third one. I can't afford a third one. Do you want to be part of that? Yeah, let's do that. I was young and eager and we had equity in this, this property now. And so we went to the bank and the bank said, we'll give you the loan to do that, but you've got to sell this house first. Oh, okay, cool. So we... Put it on the market, couldn't sell it. Took six months. We couldn't sell this thing. We actually made it $10,000 less than what we paid for it and still couldn't sell it. What do we do? So we, we get all the plans available and all the plans approved. and It's almost at the point where we're starting to turn the dirt. We just need some capital. And we go to the bank and said, we tried. And they said, oh, and they were really upset with us. Bad reputation. We'll give you the money anyway, which I think is a miracle. So we built this house and ended up owning two houses by mistake. Didn't mean to. It was just, wow, that's pretty cool. We're living in this new house. And six months later, I got an offer on my previous house, $50,000 more than what I paid for it. I don't know why. I don't understand that. But God understood something. Couldn't sell it. 
Couldn't sell it at a loss. Six months later, I sell it as a profit. We're pretty cool. So we get that extra profit and we just said, just put it in the bank. It's great to just have lots of zeros in the bank, as long as there's something in front of the zeros this time. And um, we're a happy little family, expanding our family. I think we added Elijah and Solly in this little other little house. And, and um, thank God for the firefighters. Yeah. Anyway, um, I was working at the church at this time, and my boss, Pastor Jack, said, oh, I'm thinking about selling my house. I said, oh, what are you selling it for? He told me, and I said, oh, it's too cheap. Way too cheap, because I'm very interested in the market. And he said, well, why don't you buy it? I said, really? He said, yep, and I'll knock an extra 10 off it, and there'll be no fees, because there's no fees. And oh, I talked to Naomi, we really felt a yes. Five-bedroom house in Glenmore Park. And I think it was about $20,000 under budget. So we bought it. We had $50,000 we could actually use to buy it, which is really cool. So we move in and own two houses again, which is really cool. You know, not bad for a little youth pastor. And let, trust me, youth pastors wage aren't much. And, um, but we, we started serving the Lord and God spoke to me. We started youth pastoring and God spoke to me very, very strongly. He said, Rick, I don't want you to seek out investments. I'll do that for you. He said, I want you to raise a generation of young people like no other. Raise an army for me. So we made a decision at that point to not look into further investments because our focus is going to be all about a generation. So we started doing that. And um, unfortunately, my mother-in-law passes away. A terrible time. She died of motor neuron disease. Three years of nursing her, and by this time we were moving in with them to help nurse her. And um, we've got these two houses. They're being rented out. It's great. Fantastic. And um, she dies, passes away, and my father-in-law says, look, I want to sell the house. But this is a family home. This is, this is, she put her blood, sweat and tears into this and we love this place. And, and Naomi and I looked at each other and said, let's buy it. How on earth are we going to buy a one-acre property in Orchard Hills? Oh, my goodness. We have to sell everything we've got. And we'd have to do it quick. Went off to an encounter weekend at our church talking to a guy. He says, Rick, you don't know of a five-bedroom house in Glenmore Park, do you? I really want to buy one. I said, Yeah. What are you prepared to pay? Um, this is two years we've been owning that house and it's $200,000 more than what I paid for it. <laughs> I said, yeah, I think I know of one. <laughs> he said, but my in-laws are actually looking for another property over Warrington and they're looking for a, a three-better. I have one of those too. <laughs> In one day, I sold both those houses private sales. But it's unheard of private sales. Didn't even have to weigh more than I actually would have put them on the market for. Isn't that amazing? And we were able, with my parents, to be able to purchase the property we're in now. I learned something. You can't go wrong just trusting him. He sorts it out. He works it out. Matthew 6, Jesus speaking, he actually talks very practically about stuff. He says, you're worried about what you're going to wear, you're worried about what you're going to eat. The sparrows don't worry about that. He says, whoever added a, a, an inch, one, King James says, whoever added an inch to their stature by worrying. The NIV actually says, whoever added a moment to their life or an hour to their life by worrying. In fact, you probably took some off. But yet we get all, uh, he says this in Matthew 6.33. Seek first my kingdom and my righteousness and all this stuff will be given unto you. But we'll be happy, God. I'll only be happy if I, if I buy this property, God. That's not how it works. My trust is in you, God. Now, I still pray for things. Still, I encourage you, keep praying, keep asking. He's a beautifully generous God and he has great plans for you. But if he says a no or he says a not yet, be okay with that because I'm trusting you. If you're not seeing breakthrough in your relationships, trust him anyway. What I find most is when I'm in one of those circumstances, very difficult. What I find is that, okay, God, I'm not liking this very much. It's horrible. I ask this question, God, is there anything you want to change in me? Is there anything you want me to start doing or stop doing? And I'll have this conversation. I'll listen. I'll read the word. And you give me a word. Rick, I want you to develop here. I want you to do this. So I'm seeking his kingdom. I'm seeking what he wants. More than what I want. 
And if you've studied the Kairos circle, I work myself around the Kairos circle, I get advice. I make myself accountable to someone. I get a plan ready and I start walking the way he wants me to walk. Some of the times I just forget about what I wanted and all of a sudden, oh yeah, yeah, our marriage is so much better now because God changed me. Hear me? Do you trust him? Do you trust him? I think about Abraham. 75 years, go to a land I've shown you and I'll bless you. And you're going to have lots of descendants, Abraham. Yeah, right. Me and my wife can't even have children. But I'm going to bless you. I wonder how much he doubted. Or did he just trust? I think he just trusted right through. Would have been a few doubts, but overall he trusted. Finally, 100-year-old, gets a baby, Isaac. Little guy, loves him, and we don't know how long after, but God says to him, Abraham, I think you're loving this kid a little bit too much. I want you to sacrifice him. What? What? You want me to do something that makes me sad? You want me to do something that surely I'm not going to be happy about? Abraham just goes and does it. Climbs up the hill somewhere going for a walk. Really? Hey, Dad, we're doing a sacrifice? Yeah, yeah. Where's, where's the sacrifice? Oh, the irony. Puts him on the altar about to slay him. God says, whoa! You do trust me. You do trust me. Pull him off there. I've got a ram over there for you to eat. Wow. I wonder what would have happened if he didn't trust God before all that. Because when he came down off the mountain, I love what God says. He says, because you have obeyed me. You can actually translate, because you trusted me. Because you had that faith. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless your generations. Your kids will be able to stand in the gate of their enemies and not fear. Because you trusted me. Wow. Maybe trust you is a generational thing. I think it is. Many years ago, it would have been 47 years ago, my dad was on a tractor. My dad, who's just youngest of his family, share farming with his brothers, on a tractor, and God says to him, I want you to go to the city, the big bad city. That's how country people felt back then. Take your two sons with you and your wife. I'm going to take you to a place. It's a corner of a freeway and a northern road. Showed him, freeway wasn't even built yet. <laughs> Showed it in a dream. Now, they, they came down to suss it out and realised that place doesn't exist yet. <laughs> but God spoke. And we trust God. So are we going to do it? Is our faith real or not? My dad, with lots of people advising him not to do it. Oh, you'll be back. You're going to lose your kids to the pool rooms. Pool rooms were all the go back then. <laughs> Mum and dad bought us a pool table first two years ago here. So we wouldn't go to the pool rooms. <laughs> Good on them. Everyone said, oh, you'll be back. Everyone comes back to Gilgandra. You'll, you'll get fried out there. The, you'll get chewed up in the city. But they did it. They came out. They trusted the Lord. They obeyed him. And God came through. What God actually spoke to him on the tractor was, I want you to go for the sake of your sons. He did it for my sake. Do you know what I've learned from that? Trust him. He's good. He's good for it. Andrew, he's great for it. He comes through. But often it's a test. Often it's a test. The subject of greater. God has great plans for you. He has great call on your life. He's got heavy weights for you to carry. Heavy anointings, heavy callings, heavy influence. He wouldn't want to give it to you without testing you. Of course there's tests. Tested Abraham. Of course he's going to test. Would you come through? <laughs> Heard a great story. A young GI in World War II in America was preparing to go overseas. 
And um, he was in the library. He lived in Florida. In the library, and he got this book out to read. He loved reading fiction. He starts reading it, and he notices all these nice messages down the side in handwriting. Beautiful thoughts about the book. He looks at the front of the book, and the previous owner, her name was Holly. And she had written her name and address. She lived in New York City. So he thought he'd write her a letter. So he wrote her a letter saying, look, I loved your comments in the thing. She returned to his, his surprise. She returned a letter and saying, oh, thank you. I appreciate that book. It was a wonderful book. And over the next year, while he was in boot camp, <coughs> excuse me, they would trade letters and they sort of started getting an affection for each other. He requested a photo and she didn't do that. She didn't send the photo. But nonetheless, they had this great affection. They'd become great pen pals. He gets deployed after fighting World War II in, in Europe. And um, he kept sending her letters and the relationship developed even more and more. And he was coming back to the US and he was going to be embarking or, or debarking in New York City. He said, would you like to meet so I could take you out to dinner? She said, I'd love to do that. I'll be there waiting when you come off the ship and I'll be the one wearing the pink rose. So you can imagine the excitement of this young man. Not only did he come back from war, but he's got himself a honey. It's just beautiful, you know? I'm sure she was excited too. Her GI boy is coming home and alive. He gets off the ship. And this beautiful, striking, lovely, very attractive young lady walks towards him. And he's so excited. Wow. Oh, my goodness. It's better than I'd ever expected. In all of his glee, he didn't realize that she actually wasn't wearing a pink rose. She walked by him. Then he looks over and there's a lady in her mid-40s. Her most attractive days are beyond her, past, well past. And she's standing there and she's wearing a pink rose. Well, he tries not to show his disappointment. <laughs> and he puts his chest up and walks up and says, You're Holly? So glad to meet you. Why don't you let me take you out to dinner? And she says, young man, I don't know what's going on here, but that young lady who just walked past you gave me this pink rose and said, if you ask me out to dinner, she's going to meet you over at that restaurant. <laughs> There's a test. Second Chronicles tells us the Lord's eyes roam to and fro throughout the earth, looking whose hearts are strong towards him. Those whose hearts trust him. Maybe you're going through some difficult times. I guarantee you've probably gone through difficult times. Naomi and I have gone through some very difficult times, especially of late. But we've learned this little, this little meme that we grab now and we say it all the time. He's done it before. He'll do it again. He always is reliable. He always comes through. He hasn't always come through the way I wanted him to. But God, I tell you, I'm through. This just this year we've had some big challenges, but do you know what? He knows he looks after the sparrows. He knows when they fall to the ground. How much more does he know when you're told you got prostate cancer? He knows. He knew before I did. Wow, it didn't derail me. Maybe I'm derailment proof. What are you going through right now? Are you allowing the thorn to be a gateway of grace into your life? Or are you allowing doubt, segregation from God and bitterness to set in? I'm wondering whether this is one of the greatest cures for anxiety. God, I just know that you've got this. And I'm going to go to sleep tonight. Night. Can I just leave it with you, God? And just trust that he hears that prayer. Say it and then lay it in his hands. Believe it and then leave it with him. Allowing trust to be what God develops in your life more and more because he is so trustworthy. 
James 1, 2-4. Listen to this, beautiful. My fellow believers, when it seems as though you are facing nothing but difficulties, see it as an invaluable opportunity to experience the greatest joy that you can. For you know that when your faith is tested, it stirs up power within you to endure all things. And then as your endurance grows even stronger, it will release perfection into every part of your being until there is nothing missing and nothing lacking. Wow. Take that one home. You're going to go through trials. You're going to consider it all joy. Paul says. Is it Paul? Yeah. No, sorry, James. Consider it all joy when you have these trials. When you put a smile on your face and say, I don't understand this and I'm not liking it, but I know there is a God who loves me, who will never leave me. If he knows when the sparrow falls, he's more interested in me than the sparrows. He clothes the lilies and they are beautiful. He loves me more than the lilies. Do you trust him? Do you trust him? He's done it before. He'll do it again. So I want to read you another version of Romans 8.28, my favourite. So we are convinced that every detail of our lives is continually woven together to fit into God's perfect plan of bringing good into our lives. For we are his lovers who have been called to, to fulfil his design purpose. He has a great purpose for your life, a great plan. And he knows what you need. Will you trust him? Will you trust him? Use those. If I could have you up there, that would be fantastic. I don't think I need to be a prophet. I don't think I need a word of knowledge or a word of wisdom or anything like that to know there's people here today and you're struggling to trust God. You don't want to put it all in his hands. I get that. It's difficult. But friend, I want to encourage you to do it. It is the greater life. It is where joy is really found. Don't confuse joy with happiness. You'd prefer joy. Trust me. There's that song that used to be around happy. Happiness is the way or whatever it was. You're so happy. Happiness. Happiness is not reliable. It's really not. Happiness doesn't make you, but joy. It's from the Holy Spirit. I'm sure there's people here and you're struggling to trust. I want to pray for you. Why don't we all stand? Right across this auditorium. <coughs> That's you. I just want you to center in on him. He's here. He's your God. He's the one who unconditionally loves you. He will always love you. And he knows you more than anyone else. He knows your circumstance. He knows where you're sitting right now in life. He knows the struggles within your relationships. He knows the struggles with family. He knows the struggles with finances or with you know, resource. He knows the closed gates you, you keep rattling. He, he knows that. Do you think he doesn't know? He knows. But he loves you. He loves you. Do you trust him? Two weeks ago, I spoke about the unconditional love of God. That deserves unconditional trusting of him. But Rick, I'm not sure I know how to trust God. Well, you're in the right church because there's plenty of great advisors here that you can sit and walk a journey alongside. Plenty of them. And you're not alone. But friend, if you could just learn to trust him with everything. Say those words, I don't understand this, but I'm just going to trust him. He's done it before. He'll do it again. Let it free you. His grace is sufficient for you. That's where the grace comes in. Right across this place, let's close our eyes and just get ready for prayer. You would say, Rick, would you pray for me? I've got to learn how to trust him more. Just lift your hands to God right now, right across the place. Yeah. Maybe you can think of a circumstance right now that you're holding on to where you really need to put it in his hands. He will carry you in his hands. Where we get into trouble is when we don't do this and we try and do it our own way and we think, 
Even then we try to blame God. But all things work together for good. For those who loved God, love him, and those who are called according to his purpose. Holy Spirit, thanks for being here today. Lord, there are so many hands up. Lord, would you just come to each one of them, Holy Spirit, and would you minister to every one of them? Would you just, first of all, just let your peace come on them. Incredible peace. Right through their being. Passes all understanding. Yeah. Been a while since you felt that peace, eh? It's beautiful. Now, Lord, the issue that they have in their mind right now about trusting you, would you just let them know how much you love them and give them a reassurance that you can be trusted? Just let them know how close you are to them right now, everyone. Do what only you can do, Holy Spirit. There's someone here and you've actually said these words, I would, own, I would serve the Lord, but... You've got a call of God. All things work together for those who love God and are called according. You have a call. But yet, I would serve God, but... Friend, that says to me, you're not trusting Him. If He has called you, don't you think He would sort it all out? Don't you think He would sort the finances out? Don't you think He would sort the time refrain out? He would sort it all out. You just got to surrender to him and say, I'll trust you, God. I'll trust you. Holy Spirit, thank you for that. Thank you for that. There's someone here in marriage, you feel like you want to quit. Well, that's not trusting God because you made a vow. Why don't you just turn around and say, he will sort this out, but even if he doesn't, he's still God. But God, is there anything in me you want to change? Is there anything in me you want me to turn around? And then just seek his word and let him give you a word and he'll show you because he's building someone great in you. Don't quit. Don't quit. Someone here and you've gone into um, um, autopilot with your parenting. You've gone into autopilot. It's almost as if the kids are teaching you now. But it's not what God has ordained. He's actually given you children because he can trust you with them. And he's given you the skills and the anointing to be a parent. There's an anointing that comes with being a parent. And you need to stand and claim that anointing in your life and know that God will direct you and trust him to show you what to do. It's almost as if you don't want to hurt the kids, but in you not being the parent you're called to be, it will hurt the kids. Don't go to autopilot. Become proactive. Come on. Start speaking life over your children. Speak the truth. Why? Because you trust God. Speak what he has planned over their lives. Speak to them as young men and young women of God. He's asked you to do that. He's entrusted them with you. And he, he considered you worthy to have those children. Yeah. If you're worried about finances right now, just look to God. Holy Spirit, you clothe the lilies and you know when the sparrow falls. Would you reassure every person right now about finances? Ha. Ha. Test him. Test him. Test him. Know his ways. Understand his ways. In finances, know this. You'll be fine. Just be biblical about the way you manage your money. Be biblical about it. Get a word on your finances from the Lord. Ask God, is there anything you want me to change? He might say, just one coffee a day, not seven. He might. Holy Spirit, thank you. Thank you for that.
Yes, Lord. You're awesome, God. You're awesome, God. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Would you continue to minister, Lord, to every person here? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Do you trust him? You're going to be given every example, probably before you even leave the building here today, to trust him. You're going to be given every opportunity is the word I mean. Surely when you get home, you're going to be given more opportunities to trust him. Tomorrow, Christmas time, into the new year, why don't we make next year a year that I've decided unconditional trust of God? Rack, Shack and Benny, he will deliver us, but even if he doesn't, he's still God. He's still God. Do you know what? I've got to tell you as a personal testimony, after a couple of years of challenge, I feel so much peace right now. I've got a few, name and I've still got some more challenges coming. I've got an incredible peace. I really have. Just hand it to him. I've got my prayers. I've got my wish list. I've made, I've got my Christmas list to Father Jesus. It's his birthday, but Lord, can I have the present? You know. I've got my wish list. But it's okay if he chooses not to answer that or to say no. It's okay. Because I trust him. Amen. Well, God bless you. I wish you all a Merry Christmas. Um, Tuesday, Lodge is going to come up here, Lodge. Uh, Wednesday morning, 9.30, we're going to be here. In fact, on Christmas Eve, 6 o'clock, we're going to be meeting up at uh, Ellison Road Public School. Why don't you come and join us? We've got a carols. Daniel Thornton is leading us in carols. And um, just a one-hour service where we glorify God, Christmas Eve. If you can make it Christmas morning, come. Kids, bring a present. I'd love to play with it. It'd be awesome. And... Um, that offering that we're going to take up. I don't know whether to give it to the fire relief or to the drought relief. To me, it's all just one. So what we're going to do is we're going to head it on to a, um, ACCI that have disaster relief fund. And um, we're going to put it in there because we know that they'll put it in the right hands. Often they put it in the hands of the local church and the local church does what they can in that community to help that community. So that's what we're going to be doing. No pressure, no compulsion. Just if you feel to contribute to that on Christmas morning, that would be fantastic. God bless you. Let us know what else. Please take a seat. <clears throat> we'll also be taking-